And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a fantastic weekend. A uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Always a great time talking to Andrew. And uh, we covered quite a bit. I mean, we, uh, it was a wide-ranging conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it. Some uh, current events, some general political philosophy-type stuff. Uh, we, we discussed the worst Christmas songs and, and why we feel that way. A, a whole bunch. I think you guys will like it. Before I get to Andrew, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify wherever you get your podcast make sure to subscribe if you're an apple user please take literally five seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review i'd really appreciate that if you like the show and want to get involved you can support us monthly over on patreon patreon.com slash the no gimmicks podcast all right without further ado the great andrew donaldson all right guys we're here with my brother andrew donaldson how you been man I love coming on with you. It's so good. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely, man. So uh, anything new and exciting in, in your neck of the woods? Not very new, not very exciting, although I've been doing a lot of traveling and, and working, and work's good, and writing's good, and did did some me time, a couple trips that was just for me to and family and things like that. So that's been really good. So um, I did that before the holiday. Everybody's like, well, the holidays are for life. Like, no, 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 no. When you got kids and you got family, the holidays are not for you. That's, no. <laughs> that's do stuff for everybody else, Tom. So I did all that. Like basically hadn't done very many shows or anything. The last two weeks I've been doing a lot of traveling and a lot of things like that and some family time. So now, you know, back at it now, back to work and work right through the holidays and first of the year here. And no, life's good, man. Who's got better than us? Get to talk for a living and goof off and have fun and talk to our friends. And that's a pretty good life. Can't complain about that. Yeah, man. You can do a heck of a lot worse than that. Yeah, I, man, I uh, I made the call this morning. Actually, just a programming note before we get started, ladies and gentlemen. I'm I'm taking off next week, um, and I'll tell you why nobody listens to podcasts between Christmas and New Year's. I mean, They don't read like, websites either. I, I see the data. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I looked up my numbers from, from that week last year. I'm like, it, it's it, no offense to the diehard fans that'll listen to every episode i freaking love you guys i just wish there were more of you <laughs> because i'm like i don't know if it yeah, benefits anybody to have a 50 percent plus drop in numbers for a week i'm like ah, i don't know might as well yeah. just uh spend time with family and stuff like that yeah i've told my writers too i was like i've, I've posted stuff on christmas and fourth of july and major holidays like that i was like i it's it's not fair to my writers. I was like, no, we're just we're gonna run something basic. I'm not running your big feature piece you worked on for two years on Fourth of July, because no. nobody's gonna read it or Christmas Day, and then but like you know like the day after Thanksgiving, that was a huge podcast day and writing day for me because everybody's traveling, so everybody's listening. So it's it's yeah. funny you kind of you find your spots in there, but yeah, holidays, you're better off just spending time with your family. It's just the truth of it. And like, what are you doing reading our stuff on, on Christmas Day anyway? Go spend time with your family. Go, It'll be all oh, right. For sure. We got we got other days. Yeah, it's like a politician, you know, gets caught having an affair and releases the information on a Friday night at 9.30 or whatever. Yep. It's like, that's the week after Christmas for, for yep. podcasters, I feel like. just a It's just a news dump, man. It disappears into the ether. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, dude, we're in the middle of uh, Christmas music season. Yes. And, uh, I think we're in agreement on the worst Christmas song of all time being Mary Did You Know. 
I don't know if it's the worst. It's in my top two or three. It's the worst of the of the so-called Christian songs. Right. And yes, the yes. you know, we have two Beatles who individually are brilliant, who are some of the greatest songwriters of all time and individually wrote two of the worst Christmas songs of all time, <laughs> but we'll get into that some other day. Hey, look, you, if if you write a hundred hit songs, you're allowed two misses, I guess, but those are really, really bad. Um if you're I, an actual I think, knight. I, yeah, I think um and I, what's really bad is he wrote that right in the middle of all the Wings stuff that I really think some of his best stuff. I love the Wings McCarthy oh, yeah. of songwriting. But, um, and then there's uh, the song that I think they should make a law that it's justifiable homicide to kill anybody that plays, sings, or otherwise enjoys Christmas shoes. So that one's up there somewhere too. <laughs> but yeah, Mary, did you know is just offensive on every level. It's offensive on a cellular level. Like just the fact that it exists is you know, cause for the aliens to wipe out humanity. This is so bad. Like, did you, bro, do you, they should have called it, bro, do you even read? Like, have you read the Bible story? Like, they sent a freaking angel to explain it to her. Yes, she freaking knew. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? It's bad theology. It's a bad song. It's always, this is, this is a personal pet peeve. You're a professional musician. You could probably explain this better than me, but the there's this thing in in Christian and contemporary Christian and church music where we do the whisper into the mic thing, and they always <laughs> sing that song with the whisper into the mic thing. Mary, did you know? And it's like this whisper, like, no, it's a dumb question asked in a dumb way with a dumb premise. Like, no, everything about this is bad. Even when Pentatonix does it, and I love Pentatonix, and they make it beautiful. I still can't, just can't stand it because there's nothing good about it. It's terrible. I hate that song. Yeah, it's terrible. It is really bad. I mean, the entire song doesn't make sense. From a lyrical standpoint, and oh. and you're right about the whisper singing too. Like I I can't stand that. I can't that. stand that. It it's uh. it is a. It, I feel like it is a, an epidemic in the church music community too. The whisper singing. So it is. That, that drives me just as crazy as like the uh, the guys that wanted to be like Blink 182 or the guys that wanted to sing like Justin Timberlake and do like the no like the nasally whiny singing thing. And I'm yeah. like, guys, you that's not what your voice sounds like because you don't talk like that. <laughs> it's like, no, you're, you're doing that. Like you're singing out of your nose on purpose to sound like somebody you're not. Why? Just like you're a grown man, be a grown man, and sing like a grown man. Like you don't need to change your voice and like pretend it sounds different because people got famous singing like that 15 years ago. Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, here's the epidemic and you're a songwriter. So you explain this to the folks better than I can. But about 20 years ago, we got into this thing in contemporary Christian music where instead of writing for things to be sung, we wrote things to be performed. Right. That's a huge difference because the reason everybody can sing a hymn is they used to have this thing called common key. And they do things like shape notes because people that don't understand music and music theory so they could play along and sing. And everybody can sing a hymn because it's in common key and it had variations. So no matter what your voice is or ability, you could slide in there somewhere and harmonize no matter how bad you may be, right? We quit doing that, and then we wonder, like, give, you, we're giving folks stuff they can't sing anyway, so now the pressure's on the people to perform when they sing. I don't need runs and trills. Just, right. just give me a song to sing, because I can't sing that stuff. I'm not a good singer. Some other folks can do that, but I can't do that, and it's it's become a... Performative singing is very different than communal singing, and yes. we've completely done a disservice to communal singing because we expect people to just sing to this performative stuff and you end up singing at people instead of with people. And when you're doing an, something like a worship service or a communal service or even like a college fight, why do you think soccer chants go along certain melodies over and over and over again? Right. Because everybody can do it. 
Right. Like we're losing something really important there because it's not communal anymore. If everybody, if 80% of the people can't physically do it, then it's not communal anymore. But that's another rant for another day. No, that's 100% true. And like, you know, any songs like that, that is, they're specifically designed to be played in church, you know, specifically designed to be sung communally. You just can't. And like uh, another thing, and this is, you know, on the flip side, part of the problem with that is that, you know, more talented musicians are in that space now, you know, yeah. like more talented singers. And the better you are, the more talent you're going to put into, you know, your songs. But it's, I mean, like, look, you know, you can't have like you don't want Chris Stapleton writing worship music. You want Johnny Cash, right? Like you, know, like you want like somebody with a limited Well, for range. a couple of different reasons, but yes. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I just mean, I just mean talent wise. Like you can't have like nobody can sing a worship song written by. Chris Stapleton, because he's probably the greatest living singer now that Whitney oh, Houston's God, dead. He's so I'd say good. He's, he's probably the 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 most talented. If I had to, put he's my the money. most emotive one. Like he rings right. everything out of every single. I love Chris, but he'd be I, like I, the worst. If he were a worship leader, that'd be the worst case scenario for a church. Yes, you, can, you can't have that. Now you would not, um, Brady Lim, Leonard, noted musician. You would not be insinuating here that. Um, there would be a refugee class of semi-successful to semi-failed musicians that have figured out that there's a lot of money to be made in church music groups, would you? That would not be something you're insinuating, because I know that never happens. I, I will say that most of these songs are written by the same five guys. <laughs> I, will, I will say that. Like the Nashville writing room, everybody knows who they are, and there's not that many of them. It's And you can tell, too. Like, you can tell, like... Well, that's East Nashville right there. <laughs> like that, that's well, a lot of churches found out when they started trying to put worship service on their YouTube and they started getting flagged left, right, and center, but yes, that's sir. another topic. We, we can talk musical rights another day because churches found out the hard way in a hurry that, hey, they meant it when they said that little thing down at the bottom of those song programs. You might want to read that fine print. <laughs> no, that's absolutely right, man. So uh, let's jump to politics. I'm glad you brought yeah. this up early before we before we did the show. Because um, I totally skipped over this a couple weeks ago <laughs> when it happened. That was the rail union negotiation stuff. And yep. uh, I, I, I did mention last week on the show how the Biden administration, how, how cynical they were with the, the student loan forgiveness stuff. You know, it was just a blatant vote buying scheme that was never actually going to happen in real life. And then uh, a couple months ago, they, they sent nine million people, my wife included, actually, a letter or an email saying that uh, their loans were forgiven and all this and then walked it back with like the lol thanks for the votes idiots type type deal and biden worked over the the rail workers union the same way um democrats are supposed to be these big union guys you know they take hundreds of millions of dollars from unions every election cycle and uh biden just sold these folks down the river once again so um we, we haven't even touched on that at all so fill us in as to to what exactly happened here well it's a mat let's start with the math problem you just laid out there's 115,000 rate rail workers um, uh, there's 42 million Americans with student loans. There's 9 million that were in the student loan scheme that the Biden administration popped off in the fall, right. um, that they knew was going to get knocked down in court. Nancy Pelosi said it was going to get knocked down in court. It wasn't just people on the right. Everybody right. knew this was going to get knocked down in court. Well, wouldn't you know who won the pony? It got knocked down in court. But that's 42 million Americans. There's 260 million registered voters. So if the economy crashes right before Christmas, that's a math problem. And remember, Joe Biden is in his election recycle right now. And I said recycle on purpose because this is a re-election, but it's a recycle of Joe again. Look, 
that's a math problem. I'm not great at math, but I can go 115,000 guys, 42 million people, 260 million people. These guys got screwed on purpose, even though, and this is what made it so cynical, this is the core of Joe Biden's identity politically. He's Scranton Joe. Yeah, for he, the look, last I did, 70 years or 50 years, however I, long he's been in office. This did not go. I did some I did some progressive-leaning, regular mainstream media stuff on this. There's progressive folks who are very upset about this and the fact that it didn't get covered, but that's why it didn't get covered. They, this really upset them because he really screwed a core constituency of the Democratic Party. But what happened? Union memberships through the floor. It's going away. It's 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 down to where it's almost nothing. Let me give you a good example, and then let me walk through what actually happened, and I'm going to give you an ex- a great example of where this is going. Sure. So basically, long story short, they have five-year windows in their collective bargaining. Every five years, their deals come up. They've been negotiating this one for three years, though, because right as this deal came up, COVID hit. Well, the big sticking point on this was their sick days. So guess what happened during COVID? They're, they got real strict attendance policies. This is long hours, lots of travel, so they're very strict. They're not allowed sick days. They give them PTO time because the company wants to be able to deny the sick time. Right. Well, imagine what happens when COVID hits and you're sick and your kids are sick and your wife's sick and whoever's sick. They didn't have any, so these guys are just getting hammered during COVID. So that drug out these negotiations. So what happened was they started running up onto the Christmas season here. So in September, the administration stepped in. Why is that important? The transportation calendar runs ahead of the actual cycle. So all that stuff for Christmas that you guys buy, that actually moves in August, September, October. It's what's called blitz in the transportation industry. That's when we're busy because we're getting all that stuff into the stores, and then the stores are busy right on through January. So if you would have had a shutdown in September, it would have screwed up Christmas right before an election season. So they couldn't do that, so they stepped in, brokered a deal with the union heads and the companies. They did that because they knew with the rules, with the cool-down, and the unions themselves, the union leadership agreed to it, but the union membership would have to ratify it. That process would push it past the election date because uh, Safer T, the the biggest of the unions, they weren't even voting on that thing until I think the 16th of November they finally voted on it, right? So by the time the union rank and file rejected, the election's already gone past. They did that on purpose. That was a political calculation. So then when they vote to strike, uh, Congress steps in and said, oh my gosh, we can't have this happen. This would wreck the economy. And Joe Biden signs the paperwork and they basically force the the agreement from September onto the unions. That is a delineated power Congress has from a piece of legislation back in the 1920s. That's the background. The reason that was so egregious is, oh, yes, we have to save the economy. But this was a great Joe Bidenism of this is a situation he caused because he kicked the can down the road and then he kicked it down a road and now they kicked it down a road. So now what happens is the next time to go to negotiation, you think this is going to be a less contentious negotiation or a more contentious negotiation. It's going to be way, way worse. And this is a they've lost 30 percent of this workforce in the last six years. That's how bad this is right now. And trains are 40 percent of all the mercantile and goods I'm talking raw goods too, not just stuff you buy at the store. Yep. Oil, lumber, grease, things that you really, really heavy manufacturing demands rail service. Rail service has already been picking up the slack for the Mississippi corridor because the river's so low they can't get boats up and down to some of the farm stuff. So the ag stuff's been going by train too. Yep. This this is something everybody needs to pay attention to. So next year when they talk about a rail worker shortage, or in two years when they talk about a rail shortage, or in three years, well, a little under three years, only about two years, they're going to renegotiate this again. We're going to do this again. Everybody's going to go, well, why is this so bad? Dog ear this. 
they made this mess on purpose for the purposes of getting past the midterm elections and getting past Christmas and getting past the reelection because now he won't have to deal with it. If he gets reelected, it will be past his reelection when this comes up again. It's cynical. These guys got screwed, and I'm not a big union guy. I got a lot of problems with unions, but they play by the rules. They went through their bargaining. They didn't wildcat strike. This isn't like the air traffic controllers or something like that where right, they wildcat right. struck. They played by all the rules, did everything exactly how they're supposed to, and all that union money they paid went to a Demo- goes overwhelmingly to the Democratic Party. They expected some help. They got straight up screwed. They're not happy about it. Let me give you a quick example, though, and then I'll let just to show you how this goes. My home state of West Virginia, heavy union, you know, UWA, United Mine Workers, right, UMW. Look at places like Detroit, UAW, the United Auto Workers, places that used to be union that are no longer union. Michigan's a battleground state. West Virginia in 25 years since my youth has gone from heavy blue to the reddest state in America. Yeah. What happened? Those were union states. Well, because they are also workers that lost their jobs. Union ain't no good if you lose your jobs. This is something to pay attention to. The Democratic Party is trading out their old core base. Who did Trump get that shocked everybody? Midwest. Old union folks. Old blue dog Dems. That's the people he pulled over that shocked everybody. Keep an eye on this stuff because the Democratic Party, that student loan thing you brought back, just to loop this all the way back around, who's that? Higher educated people. They're changing who their party is, and it's going to bite them if they don't stop doing this. But they've made that political calculation. Here it is. But dog ear this because you're going to see it again in a year or two, and you're going to be, what happened? Here's what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope you're right because I, I really want Democrats to lose every election from now to kingdom come. You know, I definitely— do hope that voters hold them accountable accountable and we talk a lot you know you hear um republican you know right-leaning pundits and and even just normal voters whining you know you and i are on twitter way too much obviously so we see we see this and you know about how that the gop base the gop or i mean the, the gop establishment um you know they hate the base they hate their own voters they always sell them down the river the Democrats do the exact same thing, <laughs> you know. You know, I guess if you're if you're on if you're involved with right wing media, right wing Twitter, you just you don't see it as much. But they do the exact same thing to their base. They hate their base just as much as Mitch McConnell hates the the whatever the Trump voting base. Um, it's just you know you know, Democrats are they they just I've been I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Is that you know it, we're we're seeing this rise of collectivism on the right, and and that that's kind of what I want to touch on next. But like you know. To me, Democrats have always been a little bit more collectivist, um, so it's been easier to herd the cats on the left than it is on the right. You know, it's really tough to get people that have been voting Democrat their whole lives to vote Republican. It's not that hard on the right. It, it is, but not as difficult. I think that's fair to say. But uh, yeah, man, you, you can't. The, the The unions are supposed to be the backbone of the Democratic coalition. I mean, they they fund the campaigns. They, you know, they've always been the you know, a Democrat stronghold for literally, quite literally, generations. And it's like I, I don't know how many times they can get slapped in the face and still keep ponying up the money that they do every election cycle. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is the who the collectivist is is changing. And that that num- the thing is that number's gotten dwindled, dwindled. They keep talking about, you know, Biden talks about man- bringing manufacturing back over and over again, but they're not actually doing anything to do it. No. That number of union workers, go look at that's like a ho- reverse hockey stick chart. It's dropped off the table. 
it's such a small number anymore that it's not a so who's the collective the collectivist used to be the up with power workers movements you think about that how the communist party originally kind of got their grips into people it was the workers the collectivists right that group of people is gone they're just gone they don't exist hardly anymore in america where did they go to and this is where that student loan thing comes back again where are they now well instead of having a pipeline to manufacturing and that our schools are now a pipeline to higher education, whether you need it or not. So all those collectivists are now in higher education. So that's why right. those college-age people are going there. It's a societal change, and the Democratic Party has moved with it. That also means those are higher-income people. They can fund you better. Look, it's, look, politics is a money game. Follow the money game. You usually get pretty close to the truth. Higher-educated people usually make more money. That's more money for anything from influence to also political calculations and political donations. That collectivism is still there. It's just moved from the workers to that upper middle class and higher college educated folks that's where the collectivism is now because they all go to the same schools and think the same way and learn the same things for the most part that's why i got a media that's a lot alike that's why i got a consultant class that's a lot alike they all that's the collectivism now it's moved yes. it's no longer with the workers it's with the college folks yeah and it, it's it's way different on the right i mean you know you're seeing the collectivism move into the republican party um, in the Trump base, and that's why Republicans lost the midterms. I mean, a, a percentage, I don't know what percentage of Republicans it is, 15, 20% probably. Um, I, I don't know, maybe more, but that have just outsourced their discernment to Donald Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've outsourced their critical thinking to Donald Trump, which really sucks because Trump's fatal flaw is that he gets fooled extremely easily by anybody who's nice to him. So it's like it's easy to trick the guy if you just show up and you say nice things, shake his hand, and, and whatever. So it's like grifters can get Trump to support him pretty easily if they just compliment the guy. And there's a percentage of the MAGA kind of base who will just blindly follow. And that's how you get Dr. Oz. That's how you get Carrie Lake. I mean, like, Carrie Lake is still out here in Arizona saying she won the election and holding rallies for some reason and raising money. And, I mean— the reason's obvious because there's a lot of money to be made, you know, removing Trump voters from their wallets. Unfortunately, I mean, it's a, it's a solid grip. I mean, in this economy, <laughs> Andrew, I mean, it's a, it's a solid grift. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's to me, it's just like Republicans behaving kind of how Democrats have always behaved, and I just wish they would realize that they're being played by these people. Yeah, some. <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you who. Somebody really, really <laughs> smart that I really respect, you'd know the name if I said it, told me something really, really smart recently when I got to talk to them for a minute. And they said, they said, you know how you always say that thing on your show about constituency? Like when somebody will bring up a candidate or something, I'll be like, oh, check their constituency. Because if they don't have a constituency, you're wasting your time. Yeah. You know, like Chris Christie does not have a constituency. No. You know, like, and I'm not picking on him. I'm just saying, like, he doesn't have a constituency. Nikki Haley doesn't have a constituency. You know, DeSantis, you can see where he would have a constituency. Trump, you can see his constituency. We just talked about it. He, he got the, all the anti-Hillary vote, and then he pulled over Democrats. That was his constituency. He said, remember, to a lot of these people, their constituency now is their email list. Yep. Yep. Because that email list is their money source now. That's why campaigns sell their email list. That that email list is gold to these consultants. So that's why somebody like a Carrie Lake, their constituency is that email list. How do yeah. I keep that email list intact and keep them sending me money? Yep. So that's why the that's why it's always got to be the next thing, the next thing, the next that's why you see people just jumping from one campaign to the next campaign to the next campaign to the next campaign. They've got that. And I was like, man, that's one of the smartest things I've heard in a long time. Look at the candidates whose constituencies are their email list because they yeah. never have to compromise on anything. They never have to piece a pass a piece of pass a piece of pass the butter. They never have to pass 
a piece of legislation. They never have to actually accomplish anything. Yeah. All they got to do is keep that list going. The extreme that, that's end. Some in, that's some insight there. The and the, the extreme end of that is you get a guy like Beto O'Rourke, right? Who's so like was never popular in Texas. He all all his money came from out of state, and he's just gonna keep running. I mean, he's gonna run every two years forever because people are gonna keep giving him money because he's got that email list, man. It's extraordinarily valuable to him, yeah. and he can just talk about how he wants to take people's guns, and he can talk about all like the kind of DNC talking points, and people still pay him. I, I or maybe not. Like maybe if you lose like three, four, five times, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, it, eventually yeah. people get tired of you, but like people were talking about Joe Manchin. I was like, you do realize if Joe Manchin runs for re-election, if he wants $100 million from the Democratic Party, he's going to get it. Yeah. Like, they, they will give him a blank check to hold that seat because they, yeah. they ain't got anybody that's even going to be competitive compared to him. You know, yeah. look at what the Georgia race just cost everybody. I mean, it, what was it, like $280 million for that? I mean, it's just astronomical Same. money. They, they, look, I, I've said this before. This is a whole separate conversation, but it's true. But it's like I, you, when you really start digging into the money side of this, political donations is just socially acceptable money laundering. It's yeah. just these big groups of people moving money around. That's all it is. Yeah. I just, you know, it's, it is it is true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you don't know anybody personally who's donated to a campaign, I'm sure. Neither, I don't. I don't know I, anybody. I, like, I don't, there's no, like, I, I don't know anyone in real life who has ever written a check. Oh, all right, never mind. Other than, I know a lot of politicians who will donate to each other's campaigns and stuff. Yeah. But unless you're, unless you work in, pol- unless you are an elected official or somebody that works for an elected official, I, just normal people don't. People are not writing checks to these goons. I mean, it just no, does not exist have, in the real world. I have never in my life given money to a political campaign or cause, ever. Don't intend to ever do it. I I think we need to differentiate something here. Local politics, that's where you need to put your money because those things really matter. Your school boards, your county commissioners, your circuit clerks, people think that job don't matter. My aunt was a circuit clerk. I got to actually go in her office and see how she keeps records and things. That stuff really, really matters. You need good people doing stuff like that. You know, absolutely donate to your local campaigns. What you get into is the stuff that, go ahead and folks will get mad at this, but what Trump did where he just fundraises for all these other candidates and none of those other candidates ever get a dime of it, and he just sits on it and sends it to his legal fund. And it's not just Trump doing that. I'm not picking on him. The reason, the, the way the laws are written now for these national campaigns is once they get that money, they can do pretty much anything they want to it, including roll it over into something else. So they can say all day, I'm fundraising for Bobby McBobby in Kansas to be governor for the Republican Party. And you send, you know, Trump's organization or the RNC or the RNSC or whoever, just pick anybody. And you send them the money because they were standing beside Bobby McBobby in Kansas. Well, Bobby McBobby never ends up getting any of that money. He'll get a fraction of it. And they keep all the rest of it. So, no, you shouldn't send any money to these national parties because they're all corrupt and they're all just moving money around and they don't need it, frankly. And it's never going to change if we keep feeding the beast. If you keep feeding that wild animal at your back door and then complain about them tearing up your porch, that's a you problem. That's us right now. We can talk about dark money and dirty politics and the big name billionaires and all that. But until we, the people, stop giving people this money, they're going to keep doing this. We need to take a little accountability ourselves and just stop feeding the beast a little bit. The billionaires you can't control, but you can stop writing them checks. At least get them out of your emails. No, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you saw you saw a lot of that in in Georgia too. Like you said, it was like the most expensive Senate race in Brutal. history. I think it was two hundred some odd million dollars. But on the Republican side, um, which is what I care about, I'm trying to fix the Republican Party over here. But um, good luck on the Republican side. Both the like the the RNC and the Trump fundraising machine. We're both doing that to Herschel Walker, and Herschel Walker is a terrible candidate. That you know, he he was awful. 
don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to defend him, but he was like, guys, why, why is my campaign getting any of this money? The Trump people and the McConnell people are raising all this money and not sending it to the Walker campaign. You're like, guys, come on, this this scheme is just laid bare for the world to see. And, and I mean, I, I'm not very optimistic that anything is going to change, but Georgia really was emblematic of the problem there. I mean, both sides, like the, the Trump guys and the establishment guys were just shafting Herschel Walker and his campaign and just keeping all that money for themselves. It's disgusting. You know what it is, too, is um, <laughs> we don't talk about this enough. We talked about it a little bit when Bloomberg ran and the disaster piece that was. But <laughs> how we, much we, did we, he spend? How, how much did he spend? It was like $800 million in like <laughs> $800 million in five months, I believe it was. Something I don't, just I don't even think it was five months. I think it was shorter but, than that. But, but we yeah. missed one of the big keys to that. Why, why was that such a big deal? And it wasn't just him falling on his face, although that was a lot of fun. Because I, I was one of them. I was telling you, I was like, you've never heard him talk yet. Like, this isn't going to yeah. go. You don't understand. No. He, he can't talk. Here's the problem. We complain about the TV commercials. Do you realize how much of the media budget for TVs and radio stations and even big networks, the main networks that political money is now? That's its own. That's that's such a big business for media now. They've oh, got to yeah. have those campaign ads. So when you talk about why is there always a horse race narrative? And there's already one now, you know, Trump v. DeSantis, you know. Biden versus Trump, Biden versus they're, they always got to go to that horse race analysis. Why? Because they've got to sell their advertisers. This is just business. Look, I've, I've, I'm not talking out of school here. This Everybody knows this. The business of media is to sell advertising. That includes news media. If you're not having advertisers, you're not on the air. That's that simple. So if you create the environment of a perpetual campaign, that means you're going to get perpetual campaign financing and donations into your advertising budget. They they have whole networks hanging on how much money and revenue they bring in during a campaign season now. Yeah. Like it is so much that Bloomberg thing that made people's years, even the big network TVs. That's a bump in their budget that they notice. That's why Trump has been such a boon to the media. He yeah. has been the best thing that has ever happened to news media in America in decades, probably since Watergate. Seriously, like he, they've made so much money off him because he was the perfect thing. He was a celebrity. He talked too much. He was always in front of a camera. He was always doing something controversial. Like, he's the perfect beast for news media. The business side of this drives the narrative so much, and we don't stop and realize, well, there's a horse race narrative because they want people to spend money on advertising. Yeah. It's just that simple, and we just keep walking right past it, and we don't talk about it enough. I mean, that is, that's why I don't want Trump to ever come back on Twitter, because it would— it would line the pockets of who I deem the worst people in the in the country, corporate journalists. Okay, like that. Like if Trump, because they all they did for five six years was cover Trump's Twitter account. They didn't even cover his presidency. They didn't. We cover didn't anything. have to. It was they, look. I did it too. It's easy. You wake up in the morning. Look, I did it for what the last two years of his presidency. You wake up in the morning. You wait till Twitter. he. There, you could literally on Twitter. You saw this happen. You could be up, presidents up, and everybody would just watch. And then as soon as he did his first two or three tweets, and this is how he <laughs> controlled the narrative, he did his first two or three tweets within an hour, I have my piece written, and then I'm done for the day. And then every news story, every single network news show, Talking Heads show, was like this for two years. It still is to this day, but this is still the formula. 1A block, very first top of the hour, whatever Trump tweeted. 1B block, expert comes in studio to talk <laughs> yes, about Trump's yes. tweet. Yeah. 
two block. They come back from the commercial. We're now going to have a panel discussion on what our expert just said about the Trump tweet that we uh-huh. let off the show with. Uh-huh. That's the first 25 minutes of every news show for the last six years. <laughs> I know. Is and it I not? Just, and I, yeah, and I just want Trump to starve these people out. I want CNN to go out of business. I want MSNBC to go out of business, the New York Times, the Washington Post. Like my family gone. asked me, they're like, what do you think about when Trump did his reelection? It was like, bad for the country, great for business. I mean, it's good for business, it, for the media business, but it's not good for the country. The problem is, too, is when you do something the second time, it's never as good no matter what you do. No. Um, I don't know where the Trump thing is going to go. I, I, I suspect the circus aspect of it is going to overtake the value of it. I don't know. It's not going to be as big as it was the last time. But and it's I, I'm really kind of been, he must really have some kind of iron tight legal agreement he can't get out of to get back on Twitter. It's really shocked me that he didn't jump back on Twitter. Either that or him and Musk are having a beef that I don't know about. But he could um, have some kind of legal surprising. thing with his platform that you know he's. Gets, I know they do, but he's usually pretty good about getting out of legal stuff he don't want to do and not true. paying people. So I'm really kind of surprised to be honest with you. I mean, some Trump fans are like ah he know or you know people that that want to see him do well and and, and everything. They're like, just, you know, maybe he he's learned that, you know, American voters don't like the tweets and maybe he should just stay. No. It's like he is not he does not have the self-control. The, the <laughs> tweets were never the it's, tweets were never to go back to what started this part of the conversation. The tweets were never about the public. The tweets were 100 percent driving the news media day. And it, and they did good, bad. Or, the thing about it is, is if you're reacting to it good or you're reacting to it bad, you're still reacting to it. He's still driving in it. He can, he absolutely controlled the media in this country for not, you know, he was president, especially the first two, three years of that presidency until they got to the campaign. Then you switch to campaign coverage. It's a little differently. Yeah. But the first two, three years of his presidency, he look, he's not president without Twitter. No, there's no way he's president without Twitter. Yeah. And his presidency does not look like it does without Twitter because he completely changed how news organizations cover things. You the the stuff going on with Musk and Twitter now, you don't the reason they're having that collective freak out over the platform changing is because that's been the entire business model for the last five, six years. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, no, you're, I mean, you're that, absolutely that, right. Those two things go together. Like, okay, you can't throw the – look, you can't say we're going to have more monkey throwing in the monkey cage throwing poo because the, the you know people like to watch the poo getting flung and then complain about the poo getting flung when you get poo on you. This is exactly what happens when you do that, you get this. Like, those two things go together. It just does. Man, and, I mean, look at the news media without Trump on Twitter. I mean, they're they're firing people. They're laying off. I mean, look at CNN. They've never it's replaced a graveyard over there. They've never replaced the the main character. We joke about the main character of the day on Twitter. Right. They've never replaced him. Now they've tried to do it with Elon a little bit, but I think it's, this it's Elon thing. This Elon. Th- well, I I said he'd get bored or get forced out by Christmas. That's that's looking pretty good now. We're, we'll see. I got a couple of days to go. I'm holding on to that stuff. He might get um, bored. Yeah, yeah. He's I, either going to get bored or well, when the Tesla investors will be like, either stop or we're throwing you out because yeah, yeah. he's killing Tesla right now. But it doesn't really matter. The the point is they've tried to use Elon. Biden's too boring. He, I mean, he's he's corrupt and he lies and all that, but he's within the normal rails of what we accept as corruption in our politicians. So the general public are pretty bored with him. So that's not going to work. If Trump runs for re-election, I don't know. They're trying to make DeSantis into the new Trump because every opinion piece in a major newspaper in America is telling you that he's, he's worse just than so Trump. Good. DeSantis which, by the way, is so been, good at just smoking these people down. Well, that's the, we've been predicting it for years. Like, remember, whoever's after Trump's going to be worse than Trump because they oh, say yeah. so because they got to because that's the narrative. So, I mean, look at how they look at how they cover George Bush. 
Look at how they cover John <laughs> McCain. Look at how they cover Mitt Romney. <laughs> Look at my goodness. They I just... <laughs> I love these people that are like, I was like, wait a minute, you're the people that like whatever you thought of the guy. Like the guy, personal integrity wise, pretty unimpeachable. Like you're telling us like Mitt Romney's this bad dude, and then we're gonna do this for four years? Like really? Like George W. Bush had his history in the back. You know, he had his alcoholism and stuff, but he's upfront about all that kind of stuff and, and how he changed and changed from that. It's like, he's he's a pretty affable guy as a human being. It's like, you you demonize these people that were pretty good people, like, outside of politics. They were just decent, decent, functional adult people that were trying to do their best with it that you could disagree with. But you demonized them. So then when somebody who really is terrible shows up, it's the boy who cried wolf and nobody's listening to you anymore. Yeah. Because you it's, demonize good people, they they just turn it tune it out. It's not working. It, they, trying to turn Elon into Trump didn't work because Elon is too. I mean, he's too liberal. Like he has a, enough Democrats like the guy. Enough Democrats. I mean, every single. All right, put it this way. Every Tesla single is person, a progressive. Yes, Tesla is a progressive <laughs> name brand. I may be slightly exaggerating, but one hundred percent of Tesla owners are Democrats. Pretty close. I mean, it's Pretty, like or it's greens just, or. I mean, you know, it, it it is a progressive look. Tesla. I'm I, look. I got my issues with Musk and Tesla and all that, but I'm look. It's it's not a car company. It's a luxury brand, and it's a yes, politically yeah, yeah. connected luxury yes, brand. Yeah. That's why it's going through the tank. Their their revenue is actually going has been huge the last couple months. Their yeah. revenue is going through the sky, but their stock's dropping. Why? Because the stock isn't based on revenue. The stock was based on. Elon Musk being this super progressive genius that's going to save the world. Right. That's why the stock, because they do these stupid things like Tesla is worth more than Ford. You're out of your mind. No, no, no Tesla's not worth no. more than Ford. No, it's not more than. It was projected that way because everybody wanted it to be yeah. that. And that's why but, the stock's going through the floor now. But you can't, you know, like unless you're a Democrat on Twitter all the time, but, you know, I mean, the, the you know, what? What percentage of American voters are on Twitter? 15? 20% maybe? And you know, and Twitter has an eight percent internet reach. That's how far into the internet yeah. they reach. That's compared to Facebook's forty to forty-five. But with the news media trying to turn Elon into Hitler or whatever, like unless you're a way too online Democrat who's on Twitter all the time, you'd like Elon Musk. So yeah, it's like a, it was just I, never I really going to work. The man. percentage of Americans that have any idea that Elon Musk owns Twitter now. Not many, yeah. Only 20, 30% maybe. Just the terminally online folks. And then with DeSantis, I, the news media is just not going to be able to rebound, you know, like turn DeSantis into the money-making machine Trump was for them because DeSantis is just way smarter than Trump, and he's really good. And, like, a lot of these people, you know, corporate— there's great investigative journalists out there. There are great journalists out there. None of them work for CNN. None of them work for the New York Times. I mean, like, these people that cover national politics are not very bright— and you see how DeSantis just smacks him around. I mean, you know, it's a little childish. You know, I'm sure a guy like you, Donaldson, would be like, I wish he'd spend more time, you know, being governor and less time owning the libs or whatever. But, like, it's not – these people have never been able to get anything to stick to the guy because they're just – I mean, like, Trump's easy to bait into doing dumb stuff and saying dumb stuff. And if you can just remain disciplined – it's not, you know, like the George Bush strategy with the media was to just let them say whatever they wanted about him and never respond. That's not smart because, you know, the electorate is susceptible to propaganda. Yeah, that's how he got down to 39, 40 percent. Exactly. You got to fight back. And then you can't be the wild man, gunslinger, <laughs> Trump, just like flailing wildly at the media because that doesn't work either. And I think like. I think a guy like DeSantis might be able to split the difference and fight back, but in a more like disciplined way.
or not. He's I mean, got we'll find he's out. got a tightrope to go down. And I I tell people, you know, let the DeSantis thing breathe. Let him let him get his natural because he doesn't have national exposure yet, despite what people on Twitter are telling you. He doesn't yet. He's getting but there. But he's, he's, he's he's getting, getting there. But you forget he's not he's he's the opposite of Trump. He's Ivy League educated, not because his dad got him into somewhere, but because he's actually smart. He was a Navy officer. He but he doesn't have some of Trump's. Um, <laughs> well, one of my writers called when they wrote it. They don't have his kitsch. They don't have the hamminess that people actually kind of gravitate towards a little bit. That mm-hmm. goofy, goofball celebrity, big talking over that. He doesn't do any of that. That's not what he does. No. So he does come off snarky and cutting a lot. Um, and he is incredibly intelligent. It's a very different beast. He's going to have to learn how to turn that down a little bit. He's going to have to learn how to attack with a little bit of that populism. I hate to use the term, but for lack of anything better. Yeah. How do I cut this guy down without just looking like a total jerk about it? And I can spin it so it has that Trump goofiness on it and it doesn't come off as hard as it really is. That's the differences with DeSantis. And we'll see. But he's also governing. He's got a couple of speed bumps coming up in the next year with his with what's going on with Florida. See how he handles that. He's he he creamed Chris in the reelection, which we kind of thought he would because Charlie Chris is a joke. It, we, we have to have some kind of special title for somebody that loses statewide elections for Democrat, Republican, and, and independent. I mean, that, candidate that is yeah, an exceptional. Charlie How Chris aside, though. I, I mean, Charlie Chris aside, 20 points. I mean, 20 points is 20 points. I mean, nobody won, was beating DeSantis this year. There, I mean, there was he, nobody. He won Palm Beach County. He won Miami Dade County. I Did mean, he this win is, Dade? You know, I yeah, forgot to look. I know he it was close. Dade. He won Dade. That, go tell somebody in Florida 10 years ago that a Republican was going to win Dade County. Yeah, they look at you like you're an alien. I spent a lot of time in Dade County, man. It is not. No, I mean that that was shocking to me. I mean that is not. But this is where you get into politics as local. Dade County's got some local stuff where people are fed up with the Democratic Party. Yeah, locally especially. Um, Dade's complicated. There's a lot going on in Dade County. Um, there's a lot going on in other parts. Broward County has a big old mess with the way their government's ran in Broward County. Folks just get fed up. I think DeSantis, you know, things DeSantis only lost Broward County by like two points. It was shockingly close. Yeah. But Broward, how many stories have we had out of Broward of weird stuff yeah. happening? Yeah. You know, elections are still local. That's why it's important to run a candidate. You know, whether you like him or not, DeSantis is a qualified candidate. He's got the he's got their credentials. He's now got some governing on his resume. You can't just pull somebody out of the weeds and run against somebody like DeSantis. Right. You you can run a fire plug against a Dr. Oz and win. Yeah. You can run a fire plug that's painted blue and probably beat Trump in a general election. You've yeah. got to have quality candidates that not only know what they're doing, but can communicate what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how it makes your life better. Yeah. And even though I've, I've, I've got some beefs with DeSantis, I don't like some of the things he's doing. He's figured out the communication part of it with the people in Florida. Now, can he upscale that to national? We'll see. But right now, you know, that Republican bench is really, really weak, which makes him probably look a little stronger than he is. But I don't see anybody really challenge him for the him him be Trump thing right now. It might change. That's all they got right now. That's that's on the Republicans, by the way, that their bench is that weak. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough. And I think, you know, I'm not one of these guys that, uh, blames everything on Trump, but that is a part of the Trump effect, too, that the the bench is pretty thin. I mean, he just sucked all the air out of the room, man, for a long, long time, and it's just tough. It's tough to—and and plus, he's, you know, petty and wants to—he wants to be the center of attention, so that's why he doesn't like DeSantis, because DeSantis is an effective politician who's doing a good job, so he, he, Trump can't have that, because he doesn't, he doesn't want to challenge. So it's like, 
it, it was tough. It would have been tough for Republicans to build a brand, build that name recognition in the last six years or so with Trump, you know, everything with everything in national politics being tied to Trump all the time. Yeah. And the other thing about national politics that we should have learned through the midterms is you can't stay with the last book. You know, 2024 is not going to be 2016. It's not going to be 2020's midterms either. Yeah. You have to pay attention. You know, Michigan's blue now. You know, Georgia has Georgia's purple, although outside of the Atlanta area and outside of the Senate seats, it's pretty red. Yeah. Um, Kemp did really well, but that that's a battleground state now. Let's yeah. not kid ourselves here. Yeah. It still leans Republican. Republicans have a lot of built-in advantages, but it's, you know, the Ossoff and Warnock thing was not a fluke because they've done it again. And you better yep. run somebody decent against Ossoff or yep. he's going to win again. Yep. And those guys are those guys can be in those seats for 20, 30, 40 years if you're not careful. Yep. Uh, Michigan went blue. You know, that's a state that, you know, Trump did very well in and surprised people a few years ago. Pennsylvania's getting bluer. Republicans. I think Florida is no longer a swing state. I think it's solid red now. So is Ohio. Er, not not not. Ohio- in- I mean, like, Ohio's going to have problems with— uh, Governor, they can probably get it, but I, I think Brown's toast unless something really screwy happens or you run just a total idiot against him. I mean, I thought Sherrod uh, Brown was toast last time, and then Mandel had all his personal issues, had to drop out, and then Renacy came in and lost. He just ran a crappy campaign. But, like, he's—Brown is still really popular here for some reason. Um, right. I mean, he he's like—I don't know if, you know, if you're not in Ohio, you might not know because he keeps his mouth shut. But he's just Bernie Sanders masquerading as this moderate— but he's a he's a yeah. he's a socialist. I mean, he is a radical. Uh, he he's not even a Keynesian. I think. But I think he, he is. But a, you know, there you go again. He's tied up. You know, he's caught in a red state now. That's moving more. You know, that was a plus nine. What was a plus nine Trump state? Trump eight won or nine, by eight or nine, something five like and a half the first time and nine and a half the second. time. Yeah, I was going to say. I think it's a nine. Arizona's yep. purple. We got to call Arizona purple now. The way that's going because their purple. state leadership is a yeah. purple. Where's the Republican? Where, <laughs> yeah. Republicans won in Arizona. It's a blue state. I mean, yeah, every every is every is every single statewide office blue now. Well, Carrie Lake told him because they're McCain Republicans, and Carrie Lake told him to go to hell and go home, and they said, "Fine, we'll do it. Watch what happens." And that's exactly what happens. I'm no genius. The, I'm no genius, but telling people not to vote for you is just it, like if, if you're work trying in to Georgia, get, if you're trying to win an election, telling people to <laughs> yeah, didn't especially work in a beloved like I know nationally, people got their issues with McCain. Look, he could be a real jackass personally. He had issues, but he. That dude is beloved in Arizona. You don't go there. Like you, even if you went after him on a policy thing or something, you could go after that. But you just don't go there with stuff. It's just dumb. But the point of that is, you know, these states have changed since 2016. They're going to change since 2020. By the time we get to 2024, you have to move with what the events on the ground are telling you. You cannot just dig yeah. into all these old talking points because everything moves too fast now. These states change. Yeah. And if you don't change with them, you're going to wind up losing some winnable elections. And look at the Trump, what Trump's doing with his weird campaign right now. Like he's trying to like his team, the people around him are convinced that it's 2016 still like they are not changing anything. They're not learning from past mistakes. I mean, they're literally just trying to run it back. Whatever it is, they're trying to run it back and do the exact same thing again. I mean, even though he's lost three straight election cycles doing this, like. Man, if you're taking it on the chin over and over, why wouldn't you try to change course a little bit? Why wouldn't you want to get better, try new tactics? I, it's, it's, it's bizarre, man. I mean, this this guy. I mean, like, man, after three straight crushing losses at the ballot box, to be so arrogant that you don't want to change a darn thing is, I don't know. I, I don't. Here's you, here's your fun game. <laughs> Go find who on Trump's staff from 2016 is still there. I have no idea. Anybody? None. None. No. Yeah, no, that's... there's nobody. Kellyanne Conway ain't there. 
like the people that actually got him elected president because they know yeah. how to do it. Yeah. None of them's there. Yeah. He's down to the C minus folks. Yeah, man. Yep. You know, he doesn't have people to tell him, like, no, you don't take classified documents to your house. Like, <laughs> no, you, you don't do that. He doesn't have people to put the guardrails on anymore. He doesn't have people to tell him, no, don't put out trading cards. That's stupid. Makes you look like an idiot. Don't <laughs> he doesn't do that. have anybody around him to say, hey, Trump, I know you, Trump I know the you gathering likes... isn't going to go well. Like, don't do that. <laughs> the fact that he doesn't have someone around him to say, like, hey, I know you like super famous people, but Kanye West has been having a six-week-long anti-Semitic mental breakdown. Maybe now is not the right time to have dinner with him. I mean, like, dude, this is not like and this bring is Nick not, Quintez with him. Like, <laughs> this, it doesn't take very much political skill to dissuade Trump from doing that. I mean, it's like my word. It's yeah, it is. Uh, actually, I haven't really looked into who is currently on his team and, and running. That's why the campaign, resistance but. thing was the dumbest political move in the history of mankind by oh, Democrats. Yeah. Because, yeah. It, boy, this is going to get you some hate mail. But s- tell them to send it to me. This isn't your fault. This is my opinion only. No, not, it's fine. Not man, bring expressed it on. by the you know. This this has nothing to do with the Brady Leonard program uh, and the No Gimmicks podcast, the best-named podcast there is. This is my opinion. If they would have sucked up to Trump when he got elected instead of starting all this resistance, we're going to impeach him before he even got into office. He literally said, it's in writing. You can go pull it up. He said, I'll sign anything you put in front of me. Imagine if they would have just stroked that dude's ego because he's he's naturally been a New York Republican, Democratic-ish, semi-progressive guy all his life. If they hadn't started that, we're going to impeach him before he ever got into office. If they he hadn't will, done all he that, he will crap. agree with anybody who's nice to him. All you, you had to do, all the, stuff all they the Democrats got? had to do, was be nice to him. Just say one nice thing, like, "Hey, I read your Art of the Deal book. It's really good." He'd be like, "Okay, fine, I'll sign gun control." You know what I mean? Like, he literally, he would do no, anything. He would just it. play ball with him. He would have done anything. The Democrats. Him and Schumer's been buddies for forty years. Yeah. Like they, they could have done anything they wanted. Yeah. But instead, they're like, "We're going to publicly execute this guy as soon as we get a trial convened." Like it's just, it was dumb. But what that did was, though, he responds in kind by being equally over the top, right back at them. Yeah. And we ended up with a giant mess. That's what happens. But you know, that, <laughs> that. As, as much as I want to bang on Trump and he's responsible for his own behavior, he was operating in the environment that they created for him to. And when they start out with, we're going to impeach him before he ever gets into office. Right. You know, that's when you knew, like, no, this is going to be a circus. And yeah. this reelection campaign is going to be even more of a circus because I don't think they have a single person there on his staff that actually knows what they're doing. I'm not talking about can send a clever tweet. I'm talking about getting on ballots. Using the party apparatus, you know, a former president should be a lock for a party nomination. Do they even know how to pull those levers of power at the national level? You know, this RNC fight, the Speaker of the House fight right now, he's not he should be dominating these conversations. And he's not Yeah. because they don't know how to politic. They know how to media. They know how to talk. They don't know how to politic because that RNC thing. And the Speaker of the House thing, watch those. He has no control over them. And if he's going to be the nominee as a former president, he should have total control of those processes. They don't know how to do it. No. Yeah, you're right. What happens with the McCarthy speaker fight thing? I mean, like, oh. is is oh. they have to just, like, suck it up and vote I, for Yeah, right? you'd think, but, God, you got such— you, you have such elder children in that caucus in a couple of places. I don't. The, this 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 midterm election was such a disaster for the Republicans. Absolutely. Because they, we talk. Look, I, I had people. I'm talking people. know They're like, look, they got to have 25 or 30 seats or this is going to be ungovernable. Oh, yeah. 
they, they were just I'm talking people in Congress that talk to the congressman. They're all like they're telling you off the record, like if they don't have 25 seats, this is going to be a cluster. And they wound up with what, five? <laughs> like uh, it, it is such a disaster. McCarthy, nobody respects him. Nobody likes him. Remember, Walter Jones kneecapped him the last time they did it and they went begging Paul Ryan to come in. Yep. I mean, this guy's making Paul Ryan look like a spine of steel right now. Yeah. He's promising. He, he's talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene's my greatest ally. I'm like, dude, do you check her Twitter feed? Like, do you pay a lick of. He's so <laughs> desperate right now because he's got the brass ring in his grasp. He's promising stuff he can't collect on. Everybody knows he can't collect on it. Everybody knows he's weak. They're probably going to have to just make him that de facto because there's nobody else to do unless Steve Scalise decides to, you know, Fredo him and goes, I know it was all you and put him down. Um, but so other than that, I don't think Scalise happens, will. I don't I think, think he's going to do that, though. But he's probably he the only other guy that could do it. But be, I don't think he will because he doesn't Scal- want to. He doesn't want to be the be, guy. No, he doesn't want to be the that. guy that follows the guy. Exactly. Scalise exactly. is smart. Yeah, I mean, who would want to be Speaker of the House with a five-seat Republican majority? Not this majority, because it's it's going to be an ungovernable caucus. Yeah. This is going to be the most chaotic Congress we've seen since Reconstruction, and that's saying something. They're going to get nothing done. It's going to be a total circus. I Here's your one you can put oh, in dude. the audio file. Here, here, let me throw you a production let, let me, early. Yeah. Just real quick, I hope you're right. I think you're wrong. I think the Democrats are going to get a lot of stuff done. Oh, I think, I think, I think they're, they're going to get steamrolled. I, I think— I, I mean, they got I McCarthy hope, over a barrel right now. I mean, dude, from your lips to God's ears, that this Congress doesn't get anything done because if they do, it's not going to be good. I mean, they, it, oof, yeah. If I, you I, go look at the map here, you save this one so you can make fun of me if I'm wrong because I'm probably right. wrong. My predictions are already bad. <laughs> if you go look at the Senate map for 2024, yeah, and you look at the congressional map, depending on who the presidential, there's a very good chance that the Republicans take the Senate and lose the House in 2024. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which yep. we've never seen before, but that because they're going to get six or seven seats just geographically unless the, they run total morons. I mean, and, they're going to take, and the that's Senate the thing. Seat. They could, they may run total morons, but like if you can't, I mean, Biden will be what eighty-two years old. But yeah, he's eighty, so he'll be eighty-two. Biden will be eighty-two. He can barely speak now. I mean, if you if you can't beat Sherrod Brown, if you can't beat John Tester, if you can't beat these, Tester's going to be tough to get out. I know. I know it's a red I don't state, know why, but they but like man. that guy. But he's I know because he's real. I mean, the car they make fun no, of him for putting hard hard no, on. No, he fake. is not. He's the but worst he comes type off. of yeah. I know. But, but he comes off as real though. He knows how to play it. He's the farthest he from real a politician in this country can possibly be. The Carhartt the Carhartt thing is Carhartt. real, even though you and I know it's fake. They're eating it up because is there anything worse than a man wearing a Carhartt who isn't prepared to do Carhartt stuff? Yes, but we can't talk about it on the air because it's a family friendly program. But um. Um, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, let's just move off that one. Cause I can, yeah, yeah. I can give you a couple examples off the but, top of my head that aren't real good, but, but that's tester, um, man. I, the, the, yeah, man, it's tester, like, tester's not going to be easy. I don't know what's going to happen with mansion, whether he runs or not. Remember he's going to be, I think 77 by that time that he'd be he 78 by the time he took it. I, I think he may back I, it. I have he a buddy does. who's buddy. He's never with... been more powerful than he ever has been right now yeah. either. So I, I don't, here's the thing. If Mooney, uh, Mooney's already declared against him, who is just corrupt to the... He he announced the day after he got elected because he's got a corruption scandal coming down, so he's trying to get in front of that. So that's why he's already... He, he will run against Mooney just out of spite because he hates that dude. If Justice runs, that's the interesting one because remember, <laughs> this, this is a little inside baseball, but Manchin's the one that recruited Justice to run for the governorship as a Democrat, so he changed his party affiliation yeah. to Democrat and ran and then became yep. a Republican the first time Trump came to the state. So him and Joe's got a lot, a very complicated 
friend, friend, frenemy, whatever you want to call it. They've been up and down over the year. That's if if Justice decides to run, and Justice got a lot of health problems. So I don't know if he really wants to do that. He's just as old too. He's yeah, in his he, late seventies. Well, I mean, and he's or does he just look terrible? He can't. Uh, he sits on a stool for public stuff. He can't even hardly stand right now. And I'm not trying to be mean. He's just the dude. He's a huge dude. He's I think he's six 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 seven, about three sixty three seventy. Um, he's a big dude with a lot of health problems, and I don't I don't wish him his health problems at all. That's not what I'm saying. I just and he's got a lot of dirty laundry that the West Virginia media is is trying to cover because West Virginia actually has progressive media, but it's so red nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. Um, the you start getting national money into that race, that would probably change a little bit. So I don't know. That's an interesting one. But if it's not Joe Manchin, that seat's going red, automatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tester's going to be tough. Ohio's probably going to go red, just depending on. They they got six or seven just almost impossible seats for the Democratic Party to hold in 2024. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Nothing is impossible with our Republican Party. I mean, my my goodness. I mean, we had how many of those impossible seats to lose That's did true. we lose this last time? I mean, it was just we had absolutely no business losing. Look, Georgia. it's it's, it's I mean, like it's, when you. It's like when you do the first range day in basic training. Like you can tell them to point the rifle down range. You can give them all the safe. Somebody's gonna put a round in the dirt between their feet every time, and you just hope it doesn't hit their foot. Like it, there's always that guy, right? Yeah. And that's just the Republican Party right now. They find ways to shoot themselves in the foot, self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Anytime they have, they can snatch victory from the jaws of victory and put it right down the gullet of defeat every time. I've never seen anything like it. It really is the party of stupid right now. Yeah, it is. They just they just can't get their crap it's the, together. It's the amazing. stupid party versus the evil party, man. I mean, that's it's the tale is all this time. The stupid party versus the evil party. I've given up on uh, trying to beat Joe Manchin. I just don't think he. If he wants to be a senator, he'll be a senator. I just don't think. I mean, he's he's won re-election under terrible circumstances for the democratic party like right after trump won the state with 74 percent boy that broke people's brains they couldn't figure that one out to save their life i mean people just like joe i mean because hey got me a magazine cover story because they're like can you explain this i'm like yeah it's not (laughs) that complicated so thanks for the paycheck but yeah it just just broke people's minds because they couldn't figure out like and i actually had the quote in the piece i wrote about it it was the cover story for washington examiner magazine it's like joe but you know he joe manchin even said he's like look People in West Virginia like Trump, and they like Joe Manchin. And he shrugs it and puts a hot dog in his mouth. It's a great video clip. you got to watch it. And he yeah. just figures it out because yeah. he's just, it's just, it just is. It's just I, one of them weird things. I will say I do have a buddy down. He's down in Shinston, uh, West Virginia, who knows Joe a little bit. And they, you know, they'll see each other at events sometimes and talk. And he's like, Joe Manchin hates his job. Like, oh, he's, yeah. Like, personally, he's miserable. I was DC. shocked. Not, I was sh- you know, it wasn't even my opinion. When he made that announcement on the Monday that he was staying in the Senate and not running for governor again, I had it sourced. Gail was telling people as of that Saturday that they were going back to Charleston. And on Monday morning, yeah. he said he's staying in the Senate. So I'm, I'm always curious what they gave him and got him to do that because he hates oh, the it. The DNC gave him whatever he wanted. Whatever. Whatever. I mean, like a whatever, blank check. I don't blame him. I've done the same wants. thing. Cause oh, for sure. It, but, for and they'll sure. do it again, but. He hates it, but he's also this. He's got more power than just about anybody, especially with cinema off the reservation now. Because, and the cinema thing, correct? I was like, well, you publicly told her you're going to primary her. What'd you think was going to happen? You can't keep kicking somebody and expect them not to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Yeah, it's sort of a smart. I mean, she's a clever politician. She knows that this gives her the the best chance and, you know, to win re-election. So anyway, we're right back to Joe Manchin, you know, the Democratic Party plus Joe Manchin. He's not changing parties. Everybody's tough. But he's never been more powerful either. And he really does understand that, like, hey, I can actually get some legacy stuff done here. Or he's trying to anyway. I don't think he's going to succeed too much. I I always thought he'd go back. See, he he was halfway through his second term as governor when Byrd died. And he put a placeholder in place, and then he took the seat. He can st- he he didn't term out as governor. I always thought he'd finish up as governor. He was a good governor too, by the way, even though he's a Democrat, um, yeah. a very moderate Democrat. He was a good governor. I always thought he'd want to finish up as governor. He wanted that punctuation mark on his career because he hates the Senate. He's getting old enough now, though. I don't know, and he's got he's got his money now. He may just go to the House, so we'll see. Yeah, or he may stick around just to tick everybody else. There, he's the kind of guy like if you just if you. If you make him mad enough, he'll run again just out of spite, just to tick him off. Like, oh, you think I was a pain in the butt? Now, watch this. You know, I, I just wish he'd make his party pay a little bit more often. I mean, he still votes with the Biden administration, like something like ninety-four percent of the time. Most always, even when they, even when they screwed him on that deal, he still I voted know. for him. I know, I know. They they say awful things about him. They leak stuff to the press. They treat him like absolute crap, and he still votes for him. Uh, he knows the he knows the game he knows the game though, but. That was why the the Supreme Court stuff was kind of surprising when he went, you know, he goes for Gorsuch and he goes for Kavanaugh and things like that. It was very interesting to watch. Like he he knows he knows better than almost anybody. I had an old sergeant tell me once. He's like, like kid, when you want if you want to break the rules and get away with it, you got to know what the rules are. He's the master. Like he he yeah. knows he knows when he can stick it to the party and when he can't. Yeah. Like he just knows intrinsically that's, you know, cinema was never a natural Democrat. Anyway, she started out as a green. She ran as an independent before she got her Senate seat, failed a failed campaign as an independent. You know, Manchin's a dynastic. His uncle, he served in the House of Delegates with his uncle, for God's sakes. Um, you know, that, that'd be like a Kennedy going Republic. It's just ingrained in him. He knows how to do it. He knows how to operate. He knows how to work the system. And he's a master at it right now. So it's one of those things like I'm the master of my craft. Why do I want to put the craft down, even though I hate it? Yeah. Yep. I, I've heard some, like, I will obviously repeat it, but I've heard some <laughs> some colorful quotes from Joe Manchin on what he thinks about the United States Senate. And it's pretty, it's pretty hilarious. It the can't guy be sounds as like good he's got as, a decent sense of humor, by the way. It like, can't be as good as the legendary, and I've wrote about it before and I've talked about it a lot, the legendary conference call when the Bernie bros took a run at him on a conference call. Oh, no. And he, he lit them up with, he worked in F-words like Picasso uses oils on them. And it, it, he's like, that's where you got the famous quote. I've used it a couple times where he said, you want to vote me out, vote me out, run a candidate. I don't care. I don't effing care if I lose an election. I don't give an S. Like, he just started cussing them up and down. He's like, <laughs> I don't care. If you can beat me, beat me, run a candidate. And they did. And he beat him by 40 points. And then he, and then he, and then he, he talks smack. To, he can't stand the Bernie bros and the progressive wings when they came after him. Um, so, yeah, he's got that in him where he will, you know, he, he hates it. He also likes the fight. Yeah, he really does. So right. when he, one one thing real quick on that, let go. He just told Hoppy Kirchhoff, who's the dean of West Virginia. Remember, Manchin, he talks differently to West Virginia media than he mm-hmm. he goes on Meet the Press to talk to Joe Biden. He goes on right. Hoppy to talk to West Virginia. He said, I got a little left in the tank. Did he mean two years or six years? I don't know. But he said he's got a little left in the tank. So he's going to stick around at least two years and we'll see. My favorite was after uh, Trump had his comment about uh, I forget what countries, but countries being, quote, shithole countries. Manchin's response was, "If Trump thinks Haiti's a shithole country, you should look at the United States Senate." Uh, that was pretty good. 
He does yeah. not like the Senate. <laughs> My brother, we're way over time, man. Yeah, sorry, um, man. Thanks, no, thanks for taking the time, man. I, I, told, I told you I'd get you out of here way sooner, but uh, where can everybody check out your show, which I highly recommend? Where yeah. can everybody check out your writing, follow you on Twitter, all that good stuff? Yeah, this guy named Brady once told me I should have a podcast, so I went and did it like an idiot, and it's taken over my whole <laughs> life. Um, Heard Tell Show, all the podcasting platforms, YouTube, if you want to watch it in full HD color. I don't know why you'd want to do that, because I'm not that good looking, but some of our guests are. Uh, Heard Tell, we're really proud of it, doing really, really well. Check that out on all the podcasting platforms, ordinary-times.com, where we do a lot of the writing, and we're going to have some exciting stuff coming up in the new year, my friend, including we got to get you back on the show. It's been too long since I've had you, yeah, uh, sure. so we'll get you over, and I'm always happy to talk to you, my friend. Absolutely. Everybody follow Andrew. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.